Welcome to Timeout Bulls, driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the redesigned Lexus RX. I'm your host, Chuck Swirsky. Our guest this week on Timeout Bulls is the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, Adam Silver. In a very short period of time, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Silver has established himself as one of the great leaders in our sports industry. He is very well respected by every layer, every facet, every foundation that upholds the integrity and character of the NBA. And personally, as a member of the NBA fraternity for 19 years, I am proud to be under the umbrella of the NBA based on the respect I have for Commissioner Silver, who has a very tough job. I mean, you've got to deal with owners, players, everyone. But he has found a niche, and I salute him 100%. So I hope you enjoy our interview with the commissioner as he discusses not only his role as the commissioner of the NBA, but also takes us through his period of time in Chicago when he was a student at the University of Chicago. So enjoy Time Out Bulls with the commissioner of the NBA, the great Adam Silver. So, number one, Commissioner, on behalf of the Bulls organization, thank you for appearing with us. We greatly appreciate it. And we want to talk about your connection with the city of Chicago. But I also have to ask you, is there a typical day in the life of Commissioner Adam Silver? All right. Well, first of all, Chuck, thanks for having me. and Thanks for uh, coming to my office here in New York. It's wonderful to see you. A typical day. Um, not really. I, and that's what makes the job so fantastic. Uh, last week was opening week. I was in Cleveland on Tuesday. I was in L.A. on Wednesday. I was in Sacramento on Thursday. Flew home overnight. Was in New York <laughs> Friday. I was at the Knick game against the Grizzlies on Saturday. So, one, I get to go to a lot of games. I travel a fair amount, not just around the United States, but also internationally. As you know, we're doing a lot in China. We're increasingly doing things in India and Africa. Of course, Europe as well. I was down in Brazil for the Olympics this summer. So a large part of my job is being the face of the league, being a representative, showing up. <laughs> I've learned that's more and more that's part of it. But also in the office, it's more of a traditional management job than, than some might think. Um, we have roughly a thousand people in the league office and we have a senior management team Today is Monday. We had a staff meeting this morning with our senior management group. We go over the events of the week, some of the things that happened last week. Uh, every day I'm talking to owners, talking to our broadcasters, media members, uh, other business partners of the league, dealing with issues that may come up at any given time. So it's it's very it's very diverse. Mm -hmm. So typical when I'm not traveling, as I said, it's more of an office job than people might think. I mean, we're, we're structured like a typical business with reports to me and people do lots of emails and, you know, we walk the halls and we have a cafeteria where we eat lunch. So, uh, a real cafeteria. A, a real cafeteria. <laughs> so I, you know, it's, it's, um, and as you know, this is my 25th year. Yes, it is. At the NBA, and it's my sixth job here. So 
the good news is... Your sixth job? Yeah. Can you name all six other than commissioner, the other five? My first position was special assistant to the commissioner. Then I became chief of staff in the commissioner's office. Then I was senior vice president. That I may have added. Then I. Then I. Was oh, that's a lot of responsibility. President of NBA Entertainment. Wow. Then I was the deputy commissioner, and then the I became the commissioner. commissioner. Yeah. That's, wow, twenty-five years. You know, but and and it really helped me in a way to have worked my way up through the organization because I can understand the league from many different perspectives, not just being in essence the CEO. And um, also having been the longtime assistant uh, and report to David Stern, obviously I learned a ton from him. And even from early days in the league, when I I was the special his special assistant, I traveled around the league with him. I got to sit in meetings with him. So I, had, I was sort of the proverbial fly on the wall uh, in 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 many contexts. So I got to see how he did things, how people responded to him, but also built a lot of great relationships around the league with people like you, frankly. Well, thank you. Even much longer than I I, I And that's my next question, because you're so well-received by different elements and layers of across the board in the league. Owners, players have a ton of respect for you, media members and whatnot. How would you describe your management style, and why are you so successful? Well, I'd only say... I begin by saying uh, there's there's no wood here, but you know I'm knocking for uh, the listeners that I've been on the job roughly two and a half years, and I've been around sports and this league long enough to say to know that every day is a new day. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm fortunate that things are going well, but I recognize there's always issues, and 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 David dealt with so many different difficult things over the years that it's it, I think as popular as he was, he also ran into his fair share of difficult issues and often there's two sides to those issues mm-hmm. and you're invariably going to make some group of people unhappy. understand so, I, so having said all that i think again i i've been very fortunate now to have been with the league so long to have been in those other positions where i could see things from different people's perspectives i think it helped me a lot my travels with teams whether it's with broadcasters like yourself or media members or team employees, players, to hear how they view it from their perspective. And I always think that it's helpful to put yourself in the other person's shoes. My father, who's no longer around, was a a labor negotiator, actually. And he taught me that from a young age, that you should always try to see things from other people's perspective. And I I think that advice has really helped me over the years. And And at the end of the day, this is like so many business a, businesses, a relationship business. And there's no shortcut to building those relationships. And I often tell that to the young people in this office who seemingly live with their heads down on their phones all day or in some device where they're texting and emailing and doing other things that that's all great. And I am a frequent user of those devices as well, but it's not a substitute for sitting with people talking to people, listening to people, trying to understand other people's perspectives. And that, so that, that's what I've tried to do over the years. And again, I, I've been so fortunate too that have fantastic mentors, people like David Stern, Jerry Reinsdorf, 
Jerry Colangelo, you know, uh, the, these people who had been with the league so long who, you know, were, were very generous with their time over the years. And, and now with fantastic group of owners, many next generations, next generation owners who come into this league now, people are roughly same generation I am, um, who share life experiences, who do business all over the world. People have media expertise, um, technology expertise who've come in this league. And, and what I'm really trying to do now is take advantage of all those resources so every team is the beneficiary of an owner like Steve Ballmer coming in with his expertise in technology, with Vivek Ranadive, who was born in India mm-hmm. and is a technologist and done business all over the world, or for that matter, Jim Dolan, who owned a major cable company in New York and was at the forefront of new media. Oh, well, that brings us to Jerry Reinsdorf, member now of the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. What impact, Commissioner, do you think he has had on the NBA and now with Michael as the president and uh, COO? Give me an idea about what your relationship with Jerry and the Reinsdorf family is all about and how they've impacted the Bulls. I've had a wonderful relationship with Jerry and now with Michael over the years. Um, Jerry has been an innovator in all sports, of course, not just in basketball. Um, he is an extraordinary business person. I think he's someone who, again, from an early time in the league, uh, was someone that um, I flocked to because he was one of the few owners early on who was, in essence, a full-time owner. Mm-hmm. You know, in the old days, yes. most of the owners had day jobs. <laughs> you know, I, he was someone who made a business out of sports and had multiple teams, so he had um, many different perspectives. He was someone over the years that um, shared with me insights about how things were done in baseball, so gave me a better understanding of some best practices that we could use in the NBA as well. Of course, because of those great Bulls teams and Michael Jordan, he was at the forefront of the international growth of this sport. Uh, and uh, he also, you know, uh, there's a side of him that my sense is the public doesn't often see, and that is he's got a great sense of humor. He has a way of always keeping things light, keeping things in perspective. And as, I'll, as I said, I think, you know, over the years, we've done lots of business deals together. He's been very involved um, with Major League ba- Baseball's Advanced Media mm-hmm. Corporation, BAM, as they call it. And he, at the early days of digital media, he saw that there was going to be a great opportunity for leagues there. And so, again, we've had a, a, a terrific rapport over the years, just sharing ideas. And, and also, I, I think, again, having come into this business as somebody who had just left the practice of law, which I well, it was only for a few years that I practiced law, but then went, in essence, full-time into a, a, a business job, he was someone I could turn to to get advice about deal-making, about um, just how to approach um, issues and solve problems. Uh, and so, again, and, and, and to this day, you know, and now I deal with Michael almost as much as Jerry, and the two of them are a great combination and have sort of a wisdom and, and, and 
operational experience, and again with a perspective that that is is far greater than just one team. So um, you know he, he he he's done so much for this league. Thanks for tuning in to Timeout Bulls. Lexus is proud to bring you this peek under the hood. The all-new Lexus RX is the perfect blend of chiseled design, aggressive performance, and luxury finishes. And with 44 inches of legroom, even our Bulls athletes would be comfortable in one. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive an RX today. Now, back to the show. Well, in the limited time we have, I want to talk about Chicago for a moment because you attended University of Chicago Law School, graduated, of course. Give me an idea what it was like attending law school. Did you have a chance to go to many Bulls games at the old Chicago Stadium to see Jordan? And what was your passion like regarding NBA ball at that period of time in Adam Silver's life? All right, so at the risk of um, irritating possibly some of your listeners, <laughs> I was a Knicks fan when I was growing up. <laughs> I have long ago parked in the individual team rooting interest when I came to the league. I get it. Ninety-two, but I did grow up in New York, and I was a Knicks fan. So I got to Chicago, I believe, in the fall of 1985. I had been an undergraduate at Duke University. I had then worked for Congress for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and then came to law school in Chicago. So I came to town as a Knicks fan, and I know my. Um, Certainly my first year in law school, it was not nearly as difficult, to, as you'll recall, to get tickets in those days True. at the old Chicago Stadium. And so I remember um, I had a few, or many classmates were from New York, but a, a group of us who were all diehard basketball fans and Knicks fans. And I remember also Gene Banks, who had played Gene Banks Duke, from Duke. Was, was a bull. Yep. And so... Um, when the Knicks were in town, we used to go to Bulls games, and then we'd, you know, circle a few other games as well on the calendar. And it was, I believe, Michael's second season, and I, I, most of my recollection, he was injured. Yes, with on, a foot stress right, fracture. That season, but it was really fun to go to Bulls games. I mean, it wasn't all that expensive, and I'm not saying we were sitting courtside, but you could get decent seats. And then Michael started to pick up over my time there, and he people began to say there's something special going on here. You know, the team wasn't far from winning championships in those days, but I think then we started to go to more games just because it was the Bulls play, not necessarily because there was a team in town we wanted to see. And uh, it, was a, it was a fun thing to do. Um, and so I, I combination of having grown up in New York as a Knicks fan, then having gone to Duke and becoming a Blue Devil, and, all, uh, and I... I wasn't a huge college basketball fan when I was growing up. They, there was Iona College in New Rochelle, which was near mm-hmm. my hometown of Rye. So I followed Iona in college. But uh, um, I think Jeff Rulin went to of Iona. Je- Jeff Rulin was yeah. there. A- absolutely. Yeah, there's some legendary stories about, yes. about Jeff. And so I became a much bigger just basketball fan generally um, when I was in college. So in law school... I, again, I started following the Bulls. I didn't necessarily change my allegiance, but um, I enjoyed watching those teams. And there was an All-Star game. Must have been, must have been 1988. Yes, it was. There, so, and I remember going, getting tickets, not to the game itself, but to 
All-Star Saturday night oh, of, boy. That, of that All-Star weekend. That was the famous Michael. Michael and Dominique. Dominique uh, dunk contest. To this day, Dominique still believes he won it. And had it been other than Chicago, he would have beaten Jordan. I wasn't involved in the league yet. So no comment, <laughs> so no on, comment on that. That's but, right. Uh, but I, I remember I remember being there and the lights going down. And Michael, I, I actually, vivid recollection of him clearing them. People were sitting on the court at the far other end for where he was beginning his sprint. Yes, you know, yes. Launch off the free throw line. So I remember that. And there was clearly something special going on at the league at that time. You, you could you could feel it not just in the building but among the fans that it, it was Michael, but of course Magic and Larry and all these players together that it was a coming of age, you know, for the NBA. That it it. There was a, a, a hipness, a coolness, just something about everything that was happening. And again, back to Jerry for a second, and that, of course, my good friend Rod Thorne, who I worked with for many years, was the general manager mm-hmm. when Michael was Jordan, when Michael was Jordan, when Michael was drafted. But um, Jerry, of course, as the general partner of the organization, was ultimately responsible. And, you know, I've learned from Jerry, too, that you, you, you hit the right moment you know, with in, drafting Michael Jordan, having him turn out to be maybe even greater than anyone had expected, and then he knew how to take advantage of it. And they built on something special there. Steve Shanwald, mm-hmm. as as I don't know if he was title then was president, but running the marketing operation for the team, and they quickly realized that there they had something special, and it spread nationally and then globally. Yes, the Bulls brand off the charts even to this day you travel as you know you so you still see that logo you still see that everywhere. logo yeah. all right two final questions and i'll let you go number one what, so okay great well they, they well i mean if you could stay that'd be great <laughs> so as far as basketball is concerned you mentioned globally where it's at give the message to young people that the millennials that are out there that are gravitating to this sport globally where is this game today and where do you think it's going Oh boy, uh, well, I'll begin with where it is today. And today it's um, a global game, uh, a fast-paced game, a game that aesthetically, when I look at the style of play on the floor now, is let's say compared to 10 years ago, I think it's never been more attractive, inviting to fans. Again, I think that people- yeah, And the players are enjoying it. your point, you say the players, but who, are, who, incidentally, you ask about millennials, that's our players, of yes. course. You know, so, I'm always reminded our core fan base is roughly the same age, mm-hmm. you know, 18 to 34. Uh, the, the core fans that ESPN and TNT care about, but then the broader audience of 18 to 49 that the advertisers are very focused on. To your point, a lot of millennials I think they love the diversity of the game. Incidentally, this season, for the first time, we're going to hit 25% internationally born players in the league, 113 players out of roughly 450 on opening day rosters were born outside the United States. And that's very, in many ways, reflective of the United States, a country of immigrants, a very diverse country. And I think that, so increasingly, our diverse population can relate to the NBA. I think that it's a game that's accessible. I I always say there's a reason that all of us grew up playing basketball in gym class. (laughs) Because you had a confined space, you uh, give kids a ball, boys agreed. and girls. Yes, and you know it, it's it's incredibly 
difficult to be great at it, but almost everyone can participate. Incidentally, I think there's a reason the two most popular sports in the world, soccer and basketball, they both have round balls, one you kick, you know, one you bounce and shoot. And I think there's something almost evolutionary about that. So I, I, the, this game also um, has all these wonderful, terrific values associated with it. Things that, for example, Bill Bradley has written about in terms of teaching teamwork and discipline and respect and hard work to be successful at it. So that, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular internationally. We're often, it's governments embracing this game. And again, people are increasingly moving to urban areas and where as much as they want to be outdoors and play sports out on grass or large fields, often those fields aren't available in dense urban populations or the weather doesn't allow for it. So that's why I think basketball has such an important place in our society right now. And in terms of the future, families, governments are increasingly focused on health and fitness. What an ideal sport for that. Again, as I said, can be played equally by girls as boys. The team aspect of it, all building um, important relationships or, or ways to relate to people that become as critically important for dealing in life. As I said, mm -hmm. we talked about relationship businesses. Those those skills are just important as just as important for life as they are for sports. And, and um, it's it's a sport that um, is seemingly ready made for social media. That the proximity of our players to the fans that we all know from. You have the best seat in all of sports mm. when you're doing your job, that courtside seat Yes. Um, at, at an NBA game. And I think while only a select few fans can have that courtside seat, that through great forms of digital technology, social media, we can try to replicate that experience for fans. And it's, it's a, our, our players seem to gravitate towards social media. It gives them an opportunity to have direct relationships with fans, whether it's talking about aspects of their game or seeing, seeing highlights or sharing more of their lives with fans. This is what my interest is, this is the music I listen to, this is the clothes I wear, um, this is the food I like, things like that. You know, increasingly um, through social media, fans all over the world can feel connected to our players. And it's, it's remarkable, we now have over there are now more than a billion people in the world, one out of seven people on the planet, who experience some part of the NBA through social media, whether it's the league's Twitter feed or, or Facebook pages or Instagram accounts or teams, podcasts like you're doing here, um, you know, players talking directly to fans through their social media accounts. So again, I, I and and. One of the things we're doing as, as, as a league together with our teams is fueling um, this thirst for social media by putting lots of content out there so people who will never, ever get a chance to experience our game in person because not only 
may our, our tickets unlikely to be available, but they may never even be in the United States, States. let alone in an NBA city. And through all these great forms of media, they can experience the the, the game um, on a personal level. Commissioner, do you? I mean, I, and I'm glad you mentioned this. I'll get tweets from viewers, listeners that are watching an NBA game, okay, on television. They've got a tablet in front of them getting other social media communication, and then they've got their phone. They could be watching or communicating about three different games on three different social venues, phone, tablet, you know, television. It, it's amazing where we're at today as a society. By the way, Chuck, that's, of course, how I watch a game. As, as I do. And, and it's interesting. One of the ideas we got years ago in the league office at the beginning of social media and the so-called second screen experience Remember, I used to sit at games and think for the media doing their jobs or, of course, for the broadcasters, even if you're doing radio, you're still looking at a monitor. Mm -hmm. You're looking maybe at a monitor that has the video images of the game. You're looking, this is the old days, looking at another monitor that has the real-time uh, statistical feed from the game. And then you have game notes in front of you where it has somebody's gone through and maybe you may know everything about the Bulls, but if the Bucks are visiting... Here's what they've done in the community recently. Maybe here's an injury they've experienced. Whatever else news mm. is happening around the team. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, if the media has all those resources available to it, why shouldn't the average fan have those same, that same information? And that's in part how we created the second screen experience on media.com. We said, this information already exists. It's not proprietary. There's nothing secret about it. In fact, the reason the teams prepare all that great content and give it to the media is they want the media to use it and tell the world about all these things that are happening. So we said, we can make all this stuff available directly. And now, what the, the addition, now you have the, the, the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak. And I find myself doing it all the time. I'm watching a game, and there's something that happens on the floor, either a spectacular moment or something that's questionable or the fans don't like the call. I follow lots of people on Twitter, and it's always interesting to me to see, all right, what are they saying about what just happened on the floor? And, you know, and it's, it's a light way of watching the game, too, and especially if you're sitting in your apartment like I do in New York and you're watching the game and your wife's off doing something yeah. else, so she may not be watching the game at the same time I am. It's, it's a way of creating a social experience. I mean, hence the social media. To me, it's no different. I was at the Nick game on Saturday night, as I mentioned, and the Grizzlies invoked the hack-a-shack strategy. I mean, we made some... Oh, yes. Here we go. And, and by the way, I quickly heard from the fans in the arena what they thought about it. Now, <laughs> it was the Grizzlies using it on Joakim Noah, your former player, mm -hmm. and other Knicks. So um, it was a biased point of view. But at the same time, I recognize these are fans in the arena. They've paid a lot of money to come to the game um, and incidentally it, it sort of stopped cold a very um, up-tempo game so putting aside who you're rooting for in the and the and how um, effective that strategy is uh, from purely from an entertainment standpoint I understood what the fans were saying and that's something sort of as the commissioner of the league I've got to take into account and then it's also interesting, you, you you get a larger pool, obviously, if you go on social media, not just Nick fans sitting in the garden giving their view of a strategy. Can, can you be a fan? Is it tough not, I mean, because there's that line where you got to draw, and I get that. But can you watch a game on television or go to an arena anymore? Because you're recognizable, you're the commissioner. Can you be a fan? 
You know, it, it, it's it's a great question, and I'm realizing I'm with, been with the league for so long. I'm certainly more recognizable than I was when nobody knew who I was. Even when I was deputy commissioner, I may have done the second round of the draft, but most people know who I am. So I'm realizing that people are paying attention to what I'm doing, and so I'm I'm a little bit more careful. You know, not to say I would have gone to a game. I'll still clap or cheer if somebody does something spectacular. I think I can do that in a neutral way. But the camera is always on you, and you know that when but you I'm, go into I'm, an NBA. I'm, I'm more aware of it, and I would say that even and even when I'm not in arena, in an arena, I have to watch the game with a different eye. I mean, it's it's no secret that we're ultimately in charge of the officials, um, the referees at the game. So I'm generally, as they say, rooting for the officials <laughs> to, <laughs> to make the right call and the outcome be whatever it is. So, um, and and if I'm in a game, you know what we call in the business game operations. I'm often paying a lot of attention to the music that's being played, the volume of the music that's being played, the dancers, the mascots, the t-shirts being thrown into the stands, good and bad, getting ideas, thinking things, you know, making note of things that aren't working so well. So it, it's interesting, when I was down in Rio for the Olympics, I, I could feel the difference. There, I was at all, I was there for the medal rounds for USA women and USA men. And there I, w I was attending purely as a fan. And I was rooting like crazy for um, our USA teams. Of course, I had good seats, so some of the players took note of it <laughs> who were on NBA players so in other countries. countries. And they were kind of looking at me and said, hey, you know, this is country first, guys. Commissioner is just a job. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm an American. American. So, but you, you can feel the difference being there. You know, it's just just letting it out a yeah. little bit. And, you know, I can't quite do that, you know, and I, I shouldn't do that in an NBA game. And I don't even do it when I'm at home by myself watching because, again, I, I have to watch with a different idea. It doesn't mean, though, that at all those games I was at, I don't enjoy watching the spectacular play, and I do. I just feel like, I, you know, I, I'm, I have to be, you know, always remind myself I'm on duty and being attention to what's going on and realizing... And it happens occasionally. I'm at a game where something does happen, and I may end up having to deal with the media after the game to explain what it was that happened or a rule interpretation or whatever else. But I, I, I will say I, I, I still really enjoy going to games. And I, and I enjoy talking to fans, and I get a lot of great ideas from fans. I mean, I'm sitting in the stands, and people around me, to the extent now they know who I am and they didn't used to. I, when people didn't know who I was, I learned other things because people were unguarded in what they might say to me. I'm just a guy sitting at the game. Now that people generally know who I am, they say, Commissioner, you should know this, and this is my <laughs> view of that. But I generally it's said in a fairly uh, civil way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but especially when it's, it's not about a call that they're unhappy with. But I, in all seriousness, I do learn a lot from being at games and talking to fans. All right. Um Final question. Chicago, what does the city mean to you, having lived there and having a pulse for the Bulls and for the ownership? But in general terms, what does Chicago mean to the commissioner? It's, I love being there. Um, I lived for three years in Chicago at a very important time of my life. It was when I went to law school and was a young man and coming of age, so to speak. It's when I, in many ways, became an even more um, diehard NBA fan because of those Bulls teams that were there uh, when I was in law school. I got to experience, again, when you're younger, when I 
in school, so I didn't have a full-time job. I could experience um, the nightlife of Chicago, um, great food, great jazz. I enjoyed, uh, I lived on the south side near University of Chicago, but I certainly traveled a lot downtown. I used to run, you know, along the lake. Like. I'm still a runner today. Uh, and so many of my, to this day, um, best, you know, and closest friends are people I met in law school. And so I associate those relationships with the city of Chicago. And and then in my earlier days in the league, um, we traveled frequently to Chicago during the playoffs, all those great finals. So I have lots of great NBA experiences from being um, in the old stadium, in, in, in the new stadium, you know, and it, it's just great experiences and, and a great city, great people, and it's hard to think of a better sports town in America than Chicago. Well, Commissioner, this has been great. I thank you so much for your time. I know you've got a zillion things going on. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, it's great. I, I mean, know, I, I, you know what? I, I, In a short period of time, Commissioner, I'm not patronizing you, but you have connected with so many layers, as we mentioned, and whether it's the fans, whether it's the players, whether it's owners, whether it's just media, whatever the case may be. And I think it's a gift. And and it's and I know that, you know, there are always there's a storm around the corner just as there are joys and challenges. But I mean, you're using this platform to embrace and enhance the game of basketball. And that to me is what it's all about. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned Lexus RX. Subscribe to Time Out Bulls on iTunes and Google Play. And if you'd like what you heard, leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Until next time, this is Chuck Swirsky. Thanks for listening to Time Out Bulls.